Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Season's greetings and welcome once again to the Great Song Podcast. I'm Rob Alley. I am JP Motor. And we're here to celebrate the greatest songs in modern music history. We're going to tell you what makes them great, why we think they're awesome, and why you should too. JP, how you doing today, man? I am doing fantastic, Rob. I heard a rumor that Justin Bieber and Tom Cruise are going to fight. Did you hear oh, that? Oh, I did. I saw it on Twitter. So uh, you pick a winner right now. Do you go Biebs or do you go Maverick? No, I'm if- going... I'm going cruise. I am too. Yeah. I think. I think. Uh, yeah. I think uh, if you go. Uh, yeah. I think I gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go cruise on that. If you, I, I've seen him snap too many times in movies. You know right. what I'm saying? I feel like part of that's genuine. He does his own stunts. That like, whole thing. Yes. Now, yeah. a lot of people I think are going to give the age uh, thing to Biebs because he's in his prime. He's younger and whatnot. But yeah. yeah, you don't you don't mess with Maverick, man. No. So the deal was then it became a thing online to like if you were going to pick a fight with somebody who was 31 years older than you. Okay. Then it was. Uh, uh, you know, who would you pick, right? So I, t- I took a leap. I used my age. Are we the same age? I'm, we are. We're, thir- we're okay, 37. I'm 38. Oh, oh, no, I just turned 38. I got. I am this so month. So. You would have to pick a different person. But from – so from our uh, – of course, we're now this is airing later. So that we're ha- we're recording this. By the time this the drops, I'll this. be 38. So yes. there you go. Okay, there so you go. same comparison. Okay, so from our official Twitter account at Great Song Pod, I challenged Bonnie Raitt to a fight. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, y'all can have a guitar battle. Yeah, sure. Guitar fight. Let's do that. It's that's a little funny. more nice. That's funny. Yeah. That's good. I'll have to think on who I'll I'll challenge. That's <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. That's you just look up like sixty nine year old celebrities. Uh, George Marinelli. The there we go. We'll just take out the whole band. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Outstanding. All right. Cool. Yeah. Well, and ter- and speaking of shattering people's dreams. Oh. oh not our best segue. Tom into- Cruise would shatter Justin Bieber's jaw. Uh, oh, that's good. We shatter his dreams of defeating him. No. Yeah. Uh, we've got a good one for today. Uh, yeah. We're so excited about this and a special treat towards the end of the episode. Absolutely. Um, that we can't wait to share with you guys. But uh, Rob, tell them what we're talking about man we're talking about shattered dreams the 1987 single from johnny hates jazz this is one of those 80s things that like you might not think you know it but i guarantee you when it gets to this chorus you're going to be singing along absolutely let's listen this is shattered dreams by johnny hates jazz so good 80s right out the gates love that song dude this is one of those that like i heard a bajillion times as a kid and then there was a gap where as a kid i didn't retain who it was by you know what i'm saying same thing happened to me with the living years that we did in in episode one of this season that like technically episode three episode whatever that was yes day one um of uh, where i heard the song a million times i knew it and i knew that i loved it and then until i was like maybe 18 didn't know who sang it you know what I mean? It was it wasn't like it wasn't my brain had not clocked into just man just google the lyrics and see who that is. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So for a long time I would have told you, "Ah, I know that song. I love that song. I don't know who does it, 
But so then, anyway, now we know. Well, you're going to know more about the artist that does it than you ever thought to imagine. That's uh, right, young man. Rob. We got, we got. Well, let's just tell him we got a treat. Yeah, we th- got a treat coming up at the end of the episode. Yeah, we get. We're going to get to sit down and talk with Clark Dashler, who is from Johnny H Jazz, uh, the right. founder of this and right. writer of this song. Yeah. Um. So really excited to let y'all hear uh, what we got to talk about with him for a while. So. And let me tell you, more than anybody that we have ever interviewed. Clark did not hold back on his opinion. Oh man, he's great. Which I love. I really, really enjoyed this interview. Um, but he, but he says some things very, very uh, bluntly, bluntly, yeah, matter and that's of factly, great. and it's great. It makes for a great interview because you get, you know, the the worst kind of interview to have is when somebody sort of couches their opinions and gives the um, the answer that you want to hear mm-hmm. or the answer that is most maybe. Uh, you know, uh, politically radio friendly. Yeah, you know, whatever. But uh, Clark just really goes for it on a couple things, and I'm, it's great. It makes for a fascinating interview, and uh, and we really enjoyed our time with him. Uh, you know, as we do always with our guests. And we'll disclaimer that that we'll try to keep the other b- body of it a little bit shorter than we typically do. We yep. won't get quite as in depth because we'll let Clark do a lot of the talking. He's yeah. got he's the guy on the inside that That's can actually right. tell you all the other stuff that we ever talk is just kind of our opinions on everything. But yeah. let's hear uh, let's hear it from the from the source. Yeah. So can't wait to for you guys to hear this. Uh, interview with Clark coming up in just a few minutes. But for now, let's uh, let's give a little bit of input and give you a little insight on the song, and then we'll let Clark take over the rest. Um, charts and awards. This hit number one on the Billboard Adult Contemporary chart, number two on the Billboard Hot 100, number five in the UK singles chart, and top five or top ten in about a dozen other places. It was a huge song. Um, and uh, in, in 1987, uh, the album came out in the initial release, but it actually hit big in the States here where we're based in 1988, um, and there was a separate video shot. Um, two different videos. Yeah, two different videos. Um, the second one was that was re-released in the United States was directed by David Fincher. Did yeah. you see this? That's yeah, right. it's black and white. It's yeah. awesome. And the, Clark actually likes this one better, he yeah. said. I heard that he he likes this one better than the original one, which was in color. It's kind of a more of a concept video, but this is, yeah, the black and white one is awesome. Right, and if David Fincher rings a bell, oh, yeah, and you don't exactly know, know where, he's the guy that made Fight Club. Like, <laughs> yeah. the dude that made Fight Club made the video for this uh, 80s, like, sort of, um, um, blazer wearing pop video you yeah. know what i'm saying like uh so it's kind of a funny thing but he i mean he's uh academy awards for uh benjamin button and the social network like he's recorded uh, uh, i mean he's directed all these huge movies uh but actually guys start doing doing uh music videos i think we've had other songs at least one that we've covered that he did the video for so but he's the guy that made seven and like you know all these sort of uh thriller kind of movies not thrill he didn't make thriller, no not thriller but psychological thriller kind of movies yeah. thinker movies there like you uh you know benjamin button and fight club that kind of stuff um so yeah directed by david fincher that was very cool uh, it's from the album turn back the clock turn o- back the clock other hits on that the title track turn back the clock is a great song about you know want to go back to your childhood and it's a cool video of these boys doing teenage things boys do they're in a tree house playing cards and stuff and you might recognize uh, one of the backing vocals on it it's kim wilde and those of y'all would know kim wilde from her version of the supremes keep me hanging on okay you know that you want to play that play a little sure. of that play yeah. a sampling of this this is how y'all would probably know kim wilde uh is her version of of keep me hanging on Yeah. Oh man, I haven't heard that in a hot minute. That, dude, I kind of forgot Just about that one. Keep yeah. me hanging on. That's it's so crap. Yeah. Um, other hit on this is I Don't Want to Be a Hero. Neat bass line, out front bass. So play a little bit of this just so you can hear some other some other good uh, Johnny H. Jazz goodness. I Don't Want to Be a Hero. I love this bass line, this bass line out in front bass. Funky. Yeah, good solid groove. Yeah, very cool, very cool song. Um, This is kind of that kind of pop, and we talked to Clark a little bit about this classification and his thoughts on it, and he has some very funny thoughts on it. Um, It's classified as a sub a, a sub genre <laughs> as a subgenre of pop that they label sophisticated pop um it's uh you know like sophisticated pop and um it's you know it's it's pop that wears a 
wears a, a, a button-up blazer, you know? It's kind of that um, simply red, even uh, like Rick Astley, maybe, everything but the girl, Blue Nile. That whole thing gets sort of lumped in as like sophisticated. Um And you'll get to hear his opinion on that. Yeah, absolutely. Bit, He's so. definitely got an opinion on that. Um, I think for me, it's just it's just pop. I mean, this is this is pop music as pop gets. It doesn't really get more like eighties eighties pop pop yeah. late eighties pop. That's this is it. You know, um, it, this like kind of exemplifies everything. It's got the cool synth line, you know, just these great sounds. Um, and then even his his voice um, is just really indicative of this time period in pop music for me you know what i mean it just it sounds right it's so clean it's so clear yes it's perfect and he's it's not um it's not trying to be a rock star or whatever it's just here's a melody growly right it's not here's a melody that you can sing Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you can sing along with and whatever and this is one of those melodies i think we talked about this a long time ago one of these melodies that's like um how did it take so long for someone Somebody, yeah. to pull out this melody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not the most like difficult, um, musically complicated thing. It just feels so right. Giving me, giving me nothing but shadow dreams, shadow dreams. It's just perfect. You know what I mean? You can't not sing that. You can't not feel that. Mm-hmm. You know That's what I good. mean? But how did it take so long into the history of pop music? Because Without, because Clark had to write it and sing it. I That's guess so. why. That's I guess so. He had to he had to deliver it. Uh, even the even the like uh, kind of ad lib version of the, uh, the the variation of the melody later. Shattered dreams, shattered dreams. Oh, yeah, it's just good. so it's good funny. stuff. Um, well, do we want to meet a little bit of the band? Yes. That that is part of Johnny Hate Jazz. Let's take a second and meet the band. Hey, let's meet the band. It's time to meet the band. Hey, mama, let's meet the band. Let's all meet. to meet the band of Johnny Hates Jazz um, on pretty much the majority of, of this song. Uh, the guy that you'll get to, to hear um, from later, Clark Winford Datchler. Father was a sax player. Uh, he sang back up, back up with Frank Sinatra and the Beatles. Uh, Clark moved to L.A. at age 18 to start a music career. He joined a band called Hot Club with Calvin Hayes, who we'll mention a little bit later, um, who would actually join Johnny Hates Jazz. Um, the band he started in Hot Club had uh, Calvin Hayes, uh, Glenn Matlock of the Sex Pistols. Matlock! And, there you go. <laughs> Grandpa Simpson, thanks for stopping by, man. There you go. And guitarist James Stevenson. Um, so I'm not going to talk too much on Clark because I want you to get to hear a lot about Clark from Clark and, and his thing. Um, actually, I won't touch too much on the band. This will be a rapid-fire meet-the-band section for those of y'all that are accustomed to a more in-depth meet-the-band section. On guitar and bass, uh, Mike Nacito. hope I'm pronouncing that last name correct. It's N-O-C-I-T-O. Primarily of just Johnny H. Jazz. Um, on drums and keys, Calvin Hayes. His father was Mickey Most, a famous record producer of the Animals, Hot Chocolate, and the Jeff Beck group. Um, so That's cool. pretty solid backing on this right here. Um, and I've got a little section on covers, but I want to try to get into the interview as quick as we can um, yeah. so y'all can hear him as, as much as you can. Absolutely. If my research is right, um, Clark left the band in late 88, which is surprising to me. Um, it's kind of at the height of popularity. Right. Like, uh, but I guess you, leave him wanting more, I guess the old George Costanza, That's right. you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, I wish I'd thought to ask him about that in the interview. I definitely would have. Um, and Johnny hates jazz continued without him for a while, but eventually fizzled. And then, uh, Clark reunited with Mike DeCito in, uh, 2009 and they started working on new material. They came out with a, uh, an album in 2013 called Magnetized, and uh, and they're currently working on more new stuff. Uh, so you'll you'll hear some of that in the interview with Clark as well. Um, a little bit of theory, and then we'll hit covers, and then we're and then we're going to let Clark take over. Do it. So uh, I just love it. This is not. I guess this is theory. I, the great chord progression on the pre-chorus. Okay, I love what we're in D minor in the, the saddest verses. of all keys. The sad, that's right. The <laughs> saddest of all keys. If you've ever seen Spinal Tap, uh, <laughs> that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. That scene yeah. in Spinal Tap is one of the hardest laughs I have ever had in my entire life. The first time I ever saw it, man. Oh god, go watch that after that's this. Right. Yeah. Um, so it is it's really it's so sad it shattered dreams. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. D minor is so sad it just shattered the dreams. Um, and so, uh, but you've got this you've got this key change. It's like a weird 
it's like a two bar key change in the pre-chorus. Let's take a listen to it and then I'll I'll tell you what I'm talking about here. So we're trucking along here in D minor. Here's a G minor going up to a C. G over B, B flat, G minor, which perfectly sets us back on back path to be back in, in D minor. So it's just really interesting that the the um the C minor, I mean, I'm sorry, the C major chord there is a surprise, but it's not out of key. If you're in D minor, you're really in F major by by key signature, and so C is not it. It's um the the G minor to C is an interesting move. The G over B where your bass walks down um, and you put a G on top of it, that is out of key for, for D minor. Uh, that you know is not natural to that key. So that's the one that sounds, it doesn't sound out of place, it sounds freaking cool is what it sounds like. But it's like a weird one or two bar key change because then the next thing they hit is a B flat, you're back where you started, you go B flat to the G minor. And you're you're back in your kind of circular progression there. And they actually modulated a half step higher later in the song with yeah. a really cool little transition too. Yeah, it just kind of in the sort of uh, interlude. There's like a musical interlude with some cool percussion and some some hits like that. And then it goes up uh, kind of um, uh, impromptu, not impromptu. That would mean like, like didn't plan it. it uh, suddenly, kind of goes up to E flat minor in the interlude and. Uh, some tasty, some tasty percussion there. So it's really cool. Um, let's hit a couple covers before we go. Sure. There's go there's an acoustic version uh, by Johnny Hates Jazz where they've yeah, Clark um, himself on 2007. Yeah, that album tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's very cool. Um, slower. It it's a little slower. It feels like it could be like a Christopher Cross jam. I th- is it know? in a different key? Did you listen to it? Is it a step? Is it a step lower? Let's know. find out. Let's listen take to it a, real quick. Let's take a quick listen. It maybe it was just because it was slower, but it sounded like it was a. a Nope, that's D minor. That is. Okay, yeah, we're still there. You see it? I can hear Christopher Cross. Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? That's good. Yeah. Make sure to tip your barista. So much for your promise. Can't you hear Christopher Cross doing this oh, cover? Yeah, that's good. You let me go. Michael McDonald. Is this is this yacht rock? Maybe. I don't think the original was. No, but this could this. be. Yeah, this is definitely sandals on a yacht with a margarita. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So very cool. That's a very just kind of a different. I love to hear a good uh, cover with a different style by the original artist. Yeah, let's go. Cool. Not. Not the uh, not the John Oates reworking oh, of "You Make My Dreams yeah. Come True" that we heard that was just freaking gosh awful. Uh, all right, what else you got on covers? Uh, uh, Ultra. It's kind of more house sounding. Um, okay. There's an ult. There's one Ultra, and then there's a similar one um, by Sergey Lazarev. Um, yep. Both of those are kind of similar. Just one's a little faster than the other. We can hear a couple yep. of them. You want to yeah, touch on them? Let's hit the. Um... You want to hit Ultra? You want to hit that one first? Okay. Hate it already. <laughs> Dance music has never been my scene. <laughs> so much for your promises. I mean, caught up in but it was just too late. Oh, no, no, I didn't know. <laughs> Great melody though I don't care how much I hate it That melody hooks me back in every time I <laughs> thought it was you You're so still good. singing it um, Sergey Lazarev does a similar one It's yep. similar house sounding music yep. uh, It's just faster Some more vocal effects yep. I've got a couple here uh, And we'll hit them as quickly as we can uh of course you got to go with a hard rock version there has to be at least hard rock one hard rock version of everything so uh this is uh vexes their version of shattered dreams by vexes i'm glad they still kept the piano riff yeah That's not terrible. It's better. I like that snare sound.
I like it. His guitar sounds good. I give it a thumbs up. I give it a thumbs up because the vocal in this one keeps the kind of laid back feel of the original. It's not. It's a hard song. It's, it's rocking, but guitars, it's not. But the vocal is kind of keeping it with a chill vibe. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And I dig that. That's one of the things that I like about the song is it's it's a sad song, right? Like you know what I'm saying. Um, but it's it's kind of chill. It's like it's got um, it's relaxed a little bit, you know. And I, I really like that. Like I said, he doesn't he doesn't try to do too much with a, with the vocal. He lets the melody do the work, and uh, it's comfortable. It's breezy. Yeah, feels good. It feels like a nice cardigan. Uh, you got any other covers? We want to. Let... I got. Let's let's end with that one. I got okay. a couple more, but let's end with that one. Let's uh, let's let Clark do some talking. Man, we're so excited. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna swing to this interview right now. But first, I want to remind you: hit us up on. Uh, Online at Great Song Pod on Twitter at Facebook.com slash groups slash Great Song Pod uh, or the group called Great Songs and the great people who love them greatly. And always hit us up, find the archives at greatsongpodcast.com. Keep the requests coming in. Let us know what you think of the shows. Let us know what you think of this interview. I'm really interested. Uh, this is one of the most interesting interviews that we have done so far, and uh, we're excited to bring it to you. So let's uh, shoot it on over right now to our interview with lead singer of Johnny Hates Jazz, writer of this song, Mr. Clark Datchler. Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here with Clark Datchler. You know him as the voice of Johnny Hates Jazz, and uh, he's been kind enough to give us some time today to talk about their smash hit, Shattered Dreams. Uh, so, Clark, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it, man. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a pleasure. Awesome. We can't wait to, to pepper you with questions. Uh, so, uh, first one, I, I would like to just get your um story of you know we do our research and we and we tell the people what we can find out from the internet and interviews and articles um but i would just like to to know a little bit about how you became uh, the the voice of johnny hates jazz and kind of the principal songwriter and how that all came about and people definitely are going to going to want to know uh how the name came about as well can you give us a little backstory on johnny hates jazz well, let's start with the name, I think. My, my colleague in Johnny Hates Jazz, Mike Nasita, who's actually from the U.S., although grew up in Britain, um, he, his brother-in-law is Johnny. So Johnny is a real person. He was never in the band. And um, <clears throat> Johnny uh, uh, was at home one day. Um, Mike was in the room. And uh, Mike's sister, I think, put on a Dave Brubeck record. And Johnny got up out of his chair tore the record off the record player because it was a vinyl, um, broke it over his knee in two, and someone in the room says, oh, Johnny hates jazz. Oh, yes. And I don't know how Mike remembered that phrase when a long time later it came to decide a name for the band, but he he said, look, I heard this this phrase one time, what do you think? And and there were three of us in the band at the time. We just laughed. We thought it was a funny name and also um, slightly provocative, which was, we kind of liked the idea of that, even though none of us hated jazz. In fact, my dad was a very successful jazz musician. I grew up listening to jazz as a kid nonstop. Um, so I've got great love for, for some of the jazz greats, but, you know, it just, it, a, a bit of provocation at that age is, is par for the course. Yeah. So. So that, that's, the, that's how the name of the band came about. Okay. And how about the band itself? How did Johnny Hates Jazz itself come about? I actually, I've lived in the States twice. And the reason I say that is the first time I was living in L.A. as a, a young lad, young teenager, um, as a writer for Warner Brothers. And I came back to Britain. Um, and the whole new romantic electronic music scene was happening here. And I answered an advertisement in a in a big music newspaper, which no longer exists, called Melody Maker, uh, to join a band. And um, it was a band that uh, had as one of the members uh, a guy called Calvin Hayes, who became one of the three members of Johnny Hayes Jazz with me and Mike. Um, also in the band was Glenn Matlock, founder member of the Sex Pistols, and Generation X guitarist, James Stevenson. So we were a very interesting combination. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and, and at the same time, um, the guy who signed that band, who was Calvin's father, actually, was the uh, very successful record producer, Mickey Most. Um, he signed me as a solo artist at the same time. <clears throat> so to cut a long story short, 
I was working with Calvin in, in this band, which was called Hot Club. And in a solo capacity, Mickey introduced me to Mike and suggested the two of us work together on my solo material. And then eventually, um, Calvin and Mike started working together in, in a, the capacity of co-producers. And we, but the three of us never actually worked together as a threesome. And then um, they started work on a track called Me and My Foolish Heart which actually was the first Johnny Hayes Jazz single released on Rack Records, which was Mickey Most's label. And um, uh, they needed a vocalist, and I stepped in and and sang the track. It wasn't a hit, um, but I loved the sound of it. I loved the vibe. I loved where it was heading. So I went away and, and wrote, uh, I think, four songs that I then presented to the guy saying, okay, these are, these are my first four Johnny Hayes jazz songs. Cause, cause what I have always been is a songwriter. So to, to just sing, to be a singer in, in that capacity alone is quite unnatural for me. I always tend to write songs that I sing. And one of those songs was Shattered Dreams. So that was the beginning of how we, we came to be Johnny Hayes jazz. There we go. That's interesting. So you, you, do you still uh, now consider yourself primarily a songwriter, or have you gotten into, have you, have you kind of grown into the idea of, you know, I'm a singer. Are you comfortable there now? I'm still both. And I, <clears throat> I don't actually, I don't get off on either one in isolation. Okay. If I'm writing, uh, you know, I've tr- I have written for other people. I've co-written with Mike Rutherford from Genesis for the, for the last couple of Mike and Mechanics albums. And, and I enjoy that because it's the experience of working with a very seasoned, wizened musician, and I, and I get a lot out of that. But in general, I won't write for other people. I, it just it bores me to tears. Um, <laughs> at the same time, um, you know, we're in a time now, and the past probably 10, 15 years, when the idea of being a singer has never had so much attention. Hmm. And, you know, this is uh, as a result of the, the reality TV shows. And um, so the, the, the importance of being a singer has, has heightened. Um, and I don't, it's not a world I understand because uh, for me, it's very important to sing a song that I've written that is a, a, a sincere observation on a, on a particular aspect of life or heartbreak or the state of the planet, whatever it is. Um, and that to me is the most natural way of, of approaching singing and songwriting. I grew up listening to the Beatles, you know, they broke the mold because they wrote their own material and performed their own material. And although we kind of take that for granted now, well, in, in modern corporate pop music, that hardly ever happens. You know, it's a writer, producer, um, team in one corner and then there's the, you know the singer performer in another corner and, and they're brought together and it happens but that's not how I grew up understanding music Right. you wrote what you performed and it was as simple as that and so that's where I still get my, my most enjoyment I was going to ask you about your, your thoughts on the, the current state of uh, pop music I was going to ask you you know kind of 30 years after the, the Shattered Dreams you know era um is what what is your take on the you know on the current state of pop music and has has the definition of what is pop music has it changed or do you think it is still essentially the same just with some different kinds of artists and different sounds well there's obviously many more subgenres now <clears throat> we didn't have nearly as many when i was younger um and i'm i'm not really sure of the point of that because you know you could easily split uh, pop into sub-genres in the 1980s, 70s, and 60s. Sure. Um, but, I, I, my, you know, it's a really tough one to ask someone who arose in the era that I did about what I think of it now. My dad, as I said before, really successful jazz musician. His, his band had the first, well, the first British band to have a number one hit single on the UK chart. He, you know, he had a, a huge history, but but it, it was the Beatles, here I go referencing the Beatles again, <laughs> it was the Beatles who put all of the jazzers out of work yeah. for a significant period of time, or pushed jazz underground. And so he had great trouble in reconciling himself 
with the fact that the Beatles, who were certainly, uh, you know, in musicianship terms, were not up there with, you know, the jazz greats. But as writers, absolutely they were. And as singers, absolutely they were. And actually, you know, there's no doubt that McCartney is a phenomenal bass player. But mm-hmm. talking about, you know, early 60s Beatles. So, you know, he, he, he struggled to say much positive about the Beatles. And eventually we did discuss it and he, he started to see some of the positives. I think especially when Ella Fitzgerald recorded Can't Buy Me Love. That was a big one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that kind of gave it, you know, the kudos. Um, but sorry, I'm going, uh, this is a long-winded way really of saying that it would be easy for me to, to simply diss modern music. Sure. Um, and, and I find it wanting to a massive degree. But... I think that the challenge is there's still good music being made out there. I don't think it's getting supported the way it used to. Mm. And that's because the whole structure, as you guys know and your listeners will know, the whole structure of the music industry has imploded. So the idea of A&R men, artistry and repertoire men and women, being responsible for keeping the bar high and only signing to labels what they think is of genuine quality and, of course, what will sell in in, in their eyes and ears, um, that's gone. Now, anyone, it can be my nephew, it can be my great aunt, can, in theory, release a track. Sure. You know, and, and have it streamed. And um, and I think what what is the result of that is that the bar has lowered. I think that the music industry, as it's contracting, is more and more focusing on that which they think will give them a surefire hit. Mm. There are no risks taken yeah. anymore. But I do know there are bands out there and artists out there who are taking risks and are doing their best and are making good music. And I just and occasionally they they slip through. I like the 1975. I think they're a you know they're a fine band. Um, I don't know how big they've become in the, in the states. They've done very well over here. They're, they're um, huge over and, here. Uh, they're huge. Oh, cool. Okay. Uh, you know, they're obviously slightly eighties inspired, but you know, I, I I respect the fact that they, you know, they're young. They're a proper band. They write their own material. I think good on them, and I think it and it's it's good stuff. And I'd like to see more of that happening. Um, I think they actually won. Uh, against all odds, you know their their story is a is a very unique one. It's not particularly corporate at all. So I don't know if I'm being clear, but I'm I I I, I am concerned about where we're heading. I think that um, you know we're heading for a time when songs are going to be computer generated. <laughs> Artists are going to be computer generated. It's it's pretty worrying. Yeah. And yes. and the industry is happy to allow it to happen. And you know what? The general public is is happy for it to happen because at the moment. They are supporting that direction happening at all by the fact that we've we've accepted so readily the use of various autotune software, not just in recording but on in 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 the live realm. Mm-hmm. So we're already we've already accepted something which is partly artificial intelligence. Right. And I think we're going to go the whole way. And I think that's an incredibly dangerous path to take. So there you go. That's my <laughs> that's my. Uh, uh, grandstanding on the state of the current music industry. And I think that's great. I think that's a really, a really thoughtful answer and, and kind of a running theme actually um, from people who the, we have talked to who are uh, both artists and songwriters. Uh, all of them, everybody that we've talked to that is a songwriter has shared that same um, kind of sense of dread almost. Concern. Where the industry is yeah. headed. Yeah. Concern is maybe a better word. Um, that, you know, What's it going to look like in twenty years? Uh, it, it's really hard to say if if the traditional, um, you know, if the traditional role of a songwriter is even going to be existing the same way that it does now, you know, in any sort of yeah. uh, capacity for you know for uh, in a corporate way. Um, I yeah. did want to follow up because you because you talked about subgenres. I wanted to to ask you about a subgenre. Um, that, uh, if you, like, if, if you look up Johnny hates jazz on say Wikipedia, it classifies, you know, they'll put on the side, um, you know, this, this band kind of fits into this category and the only classification for Johnny hates jazz is called sophisticated um, sophisticated pop, I suppose. And I wanted to ask how you felt about that 
label? Is it uh, obviously it wasn't a label at the time, but it's you know it's something they've no. gone back and classified certain bands as oh this is sophisticated right? Um, I wanted to see what your thoughts about that, if you felt that's accurate or or if that sounds off to you. No, I don't think it's accurate at all. I think it's a bullshit label actually. Uh, you know the the thing is is that the the problem is is that in in retrospect people have applied these subgenres, as you quite rightly pointed out, because they didn't exist at the time, in order to try and cr- create categories that people, I think, especially who are streaming, will be able to find mm. music of, of you know, uh, what they think is a, a similar background. You know what, to today's listeners, maybe they would find great similarity between us and, I don't know, Swing Out Sister, who were probably classed as sophisticated pop as well. But for us, that's not where we came from at all. I think that label has a lot more to do with what we looked like. Yeah. yeah we, you know, we, 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 you know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I think that the whole kind of suited and booted thing yep. that we were into and others were at the time as well, kind of brought different artists together who musically didn't have quite so much in common, but was seen as this single thing. And I guess that is a, that's not, that's not abnormal. I mean, you think about, uh, you know, the, the grunge move, movement it was actually very varied, but, you know, because there was a certain look attached to it, they all kind of got called grunge. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> I, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I don't have a problem with sophisticated pop, but, you know, I, all, I grew up playing synths, you know, piano and synths. I was a guitarist as well, but I was mainly a synth player. So Johnny hates jazz, even though, you may not hear it as being as much of an electronic band as Ultravox or Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. We were an electronic band. Yeah. You know, we used drum machines, we used synths. That was the basis of our music. And um, so I kind of still see it as electronic pop. That's, that's how I see it. Yeah, well, it's it's easy to it's it's hard to uh, imagine by the label Sophistapop that one of the founding members of the Sex Pistols is in this band. It's hard to you know what I'm saying. <laughs> like, so it's a it's kind of a limiting. Um, a limiting label, you know, I, I definitely uh, I would agree with you there. It's hard. It's just, it's just good pop music, you know, it's it just kind of, I, but I understand I had not thought about what you said about it, that being a good classification for people who are trying to stream. I absolutely think that plays into that. Yeah. Uh, JP has a, yeah. JP has a great question. Yeah. I had here. a follow up question to that. I know you mentioned you played synth and guitar. We know you're a multi-instrumentalist. I know you play bass, drums, guitar. Me and Rob are both also multi-instrumentalists. So if we were to start a band, the three of us, obviously <laughs> you're going to be our lead singer. What, instru- what instrument are you going to lead from? Me and Rob will fill in the gaps or what are you going to play? What's your, your instrument? Uh, you know what? I'd probably play, uh, I'd probably play Whirly, Whirly, sir. Okay. Oh, yeah, I, I, we're I, we're I, down I, for I, that. I, that. Okay. That's sexy. yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, Daryl Hall used to have a Wurlitzer on a absolutely. On a stand, so he's yeah. And I always thought that was so cool because obviously it, the, the sound is great as well. But it's very, it, you know, I'm not much of a sit down player. I've got to stand up. Yeah, you can so, feel the music uh, that way. I agree. What would you guys play then? Oh man, then I guess I'll play bass and Rob will yeah, play, I'll drums play drums. Yeah, in that, okay, there we go. In that, if we're doing the trio that way, we got it. We're good. We're set. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We'll find we it. need a name now. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll work on that. We'll work on it. We'll, we'll pull something from the interview. Uh, okay. <laughs> so the, taking that a step further, when you write, do you write from the keyboard or do you write from guitar or do you write lyrics first and then add the music less? Like uh, what's a, a typical writing session for Clark look like? What do you, how do you describe your, your uh, Well, th- th- there's two, there's two, actually three main factors really. Firstly, I usually write at a keyboard and I, <clears throat> I prefer to write at a piano if I can. Um, I've got a, a um, uh, 110 year old, uh, actually, no, 118, sorry, 117 year old uh, Steinway Goodness. grand piano, which I, um, actually it's in New York Steinway as well. Um, I, uh, I, I'll write on that if I can. I write on a whirly because it sounds different, and it, but it's still a real instrument. I like playing on real. I like writing on real instruments. Sure. Um, there's something vibrationy. I mean, I mean that in a very physical way, not an esoteric way. Right. This, the vibration of the instrument it has some kind of resonance with me. I, I don't know. I somehow I hear it in a different way. I guess. Yeah. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm very influenced, and, and I guess a lot of us are, and always have been, by grooves. Sure. So, uh, it, it, you know, for example, Johnny H.S. Uh, are 
working on a new album right now. We're we're in the process of finishing it, and, and one of the songs just yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very cool album, I think. And uh, th- there's one song that started with a a um, a drum take. It had no song. It was just a drum take, and a friend of ours, uh, Phil Thornalley, um, who has done some writing with us on uh, on this album, and actually took my place when I left Johnny Hates Jazz in the late eighties for for an album. But Phil's an old friend, and and he he just gave me this drum track. Just said, just see if you want to do anything with this, and and I and it really inspired me to put a song together that actually I already had. But um, but it was with a, a different feel, um, and the the thing he presented me with was a was a glam drum track. It was you know a shuffle, but very much, uh, very much a glam groove. And um, it's one of the best tracks on the album now. And I and I, I've noted that. I noted that had I not had that drum track, I wouldn't have arrived at that point. Maybe a different point, but not that point. So I'm well into drums. Drums are good. That's great. Um, it- as far as the writing process goes or, or the, the um, production of a song in general, um, specific to Shattered Dreams, uh, did you feel like you had something special in the song as you were writing? Or, or at what point in the process of writing, recording, releasing, did you get that vibe that, like, this is, this is going to take off? I was writing the song actually in the room that I'm standing in right now. So I'm ah, looking cool. at the piano that I wrote it on, and uh, it's still in my my parents' house. My father's passed away; he passed away um, 21 years ago. But um, as I was writing it on this this upright piano, which is in front of me, um, he heard me. I had a little kind of studio set up around this piano, um, very basic for back then. Because home studios were, you know, were few and far between. You had to go into a sure. proper, proper facility to make a record. Um, but he came in, and, and I was beginning to write Shadow Dreams, and he said, uh, "What is that you're working on?" And I said, um, "It's a song called Shattered Dreams. I've just started it." And he said, um, "I think you've written your first hit." That's awesome. <laughs> and that, you know, what I needed that affirmation, really. And especially from him, because he, he was quite rightly so very, you know, he's very critical. He wanted me to reach higher and reach further, and, and, and that was very important for me at the time. So when he said, you've got something there, it meant a lot. And then I, then I played the finished song to Mike and Calvin, and uh, they confirmed what my dad felt. They just said, I think, you know, we've got a hit here. We've now got to turn it into a hit record. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that I, I'm someone who I, I think feedback is important. I think it's really good to have good sounding boards in your life. I think if you do things too much in isolation, um, you know, you can, you can get lost sometimes. Uh, and although that there is a time and place for doing that, making very introspective music at that moment, I needed the sounding boards and, and they were really helpful. That's great. That's, and especially coming from, from somebody like your dad who, Automatically, you have a th- you know everybody's got a thing with their dad. They need they need dad's respect and they need dad's affirmation. Affirmation, uh, and then add yeah. into the fact that he is a you know that he's a highly successful jazz musician, and obviously you respect him on that level as well. So uh, I'm sure yeah. that was a a nice feeling to be sure. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I have to ask: is is the song autobiographical in any way, or is it more, or is it a story, a third person character? It's a third-person character. I mean, I think the thing is, is that uh, at the time when I was writing, I was still very much experimenting with who I was through music and obviously in myself as an individual. And so I was kind of, it was almost like trying on different clothes to see what worked for me. And anyone who knew me in music back then, I mean, uh, especially Mickey Most was a, a great advocate of of making this statement would would call me a bit of a chameleon because I would you know one day I'd do a a punk track the next minute I'd do a reggae track the next minute I'd do you know a soul track and I was constantly bouncing between different genres and and I kind of did that lyrically as well it was just a, a a different way of of finding out who I was and I think the thing with shattered dreams is that 
I can only really say this now I'm older, is that, uh, of course, I experienced shattered dreams. I did before I wrote that song, and I have after writing that song. And that is, I think, one of its um, appeals, is that there's many different kinds of shattered dreams that we as individuals or we as peoples experience. So, you know, there's relationship breakups on the intimate level, the individual level, right up to, you know, uh, a planetary degradation, environmental degradation, which is a shattered dream in and of itself. And so I think, I think as, a, as a concept, the idea of hopes being dashed is, is something that, you know, does tap into people for, for various reasons, and it, and it must have done for me as well. Absolutely. Uh, talking about, you, you mentioned uh, so and, and said it so well, kind of trying on clothes as a writer. Um, I'm interested, who are the writers who influenced you early on? Whose clothes did you try on before you found the suit that fit you? Yeah, metaphorically speaking. Yes. Well, um, I, you know, I'm, I, I was very, very um, eclectic, and I still am. So uh, one of my favorite writers was Gino Vanelli. And I, I listened to Gino's early stuff. This is before he became successful with an album called Brother to Brother and a song called I Just Want to Stop. Um, I was really into Gino. He was a kind of a jazz fusion rock soul guy, very individual. So he was someone that I listened to a lot. At the same time, I listened incessantly to the Beatles, Lennon McCartney and George Harrison, of course. Um, I was a devotee of Stevie Wonder. Yeah. Um, I was massively into the Isley Brothers, you know, who obviously all, you know, by and large wrote their own material. Ernie Isley, you know, was a, became the predominant writer there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, let me see who else I will uh, add. Um, the Moody Blues, actually, I listened a lot to. And, um, and interestingly, as time went by, you know, I got more, I got into aspects of, of Genesis and then Mike and Mechanics. Uh, so there was a slight irony that I ended up working with Mike Rutherford um, many years later. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know what, you've asked me that kind of question. I'm sure you guys have this with each other or other people you speak to. You could go on forever. Absolutely, yeah. About influences, you know? I mean, it's true. It's really true. I I grew up listening to, you know, Rogers and Hart and and Sammy Kahn. And, you know, it's like I I listen to these classic 30s, 40s songwriters, and they influenced me as well, so... You hit yeah. some good pull, bullet points in there, so some some good highlights. Oh, cool, man. Cool. The, um, this, this is a question that I ask everyone, that we ask everybody that we interview. So you're on tour or you're on the road. You go into a gas station. What is your candy bar of choice or your uh, snack food of choice in a gas station? You go in and you get to pick up something quick and jump back in the car. What do you grab? Well, that's a very interesting question. I don't know where the that came from. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's completely off course. Has nothing to do. Yes. So sidebar question. I've seen you go. guys do this quite often. Okay, um, I, I, let me give I because you've obviously got listeners who are from Europe. So let sure. me give absolutely a, a Eurocentric answer. Oh, this will be great. Um, I, I I love chocolate. I'm afraid to say because I <laughs> eat too much of it. Um, my candy bar of choice actually is. Something called a walnut whip. Okay. And a walnut whip is a uh, is, is something that Brits really will know about. All right. Um, it's a kind of a chocolate cone, small chocolate cone, with marshmallow interior and a walnut on top. Walnut <laughs> whip. Delicious. So that's pretty pretty <laughs> cool. Um, in if we're, in terms of the Americas, um, what well, I tell you what it was because I was in the states for a long time. It was. Chocolate covered cranberries. Really? Go, yeah, man. I used to go into Whole Foods and I'd come out with a huge bag of the things, <laughs> and I would sit in the studio getting. I never got overweight, but man, I would eat a lot of those things. <laughs> and you can't get that. You can get you can get chocolate covered cranberries over here now, but it's dark chocolate, which of course is healthier. But the ones I got over there were 
milk chocolate and man i love those things we'll, there you go we'll set a bag on the wurlitzer when you come in we'll have it waiting for you so it'll be here waiting oh for you. okay that's a deal you get your sandwich for sure <laughs> yes win <laughs> A uh, couple more questions for you, if you don't mind. Thank you so much for being generous sure. with your time. Yeah, well, I really appreciate it. Um, I just yeah, had a, a question on, um, and you, you kind of answered this. I just wonder if anybody else springs to mind when I ask this. Um, uh, in the landscape of current uh, 2019 music, um, who is doing pop really well right now? You mentioned the 1975. Is there anybody else that, uh, that you think is just really, um, just really killing it in pop music? Um, I can't say that I feel that there <clears throat> there is an artist or artists who are consistently doing that. Okay. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people, I've, I'm sorry to say, I've got listened to, I've got used to listening to individual songs more. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if I buy a vinyl album, of course I'll. I'll listen to the whole thing and I'll and I'll get into it. But um, you know what I I like Noel Gallagher. I think okay. Noel Gallagher. Yeah, I I like his solo stuff with the with the high flying birds. Yeah, with the high flying birds. Yeah. In fact, he's he's just got a new track out which is called Black Star Dancing, and I really like that. I've again I've liked uh, that he did a track called Ballad of the Mighty Eye. Um, some years ago, which I think might have been on the first or second high, no, second high flying birds album. So he's really cool. He's not exactly, you know, your corporate global sensation. Um, uh, let me think. Um, I like Bring Me the Horizon. Um, they're a British, um, well, they're kind of, they're almost metal, but they're, it's very intelligent metal. I like that. In fact, I, I do listen to a lot of pro, lot, lot of prog rock as well. Um, uh, if we are talking about you know the today's music scene in general, are we talking about you know artists that everyone's going to have heard of, or maybe ones that are less well known? Up to you. Um, and I'd be I'd be curious to to know who your favorite prog yeah, acts are. We're, as well. we're prog guys, so. Um. Oh, okay. Well, my favorite prog. I, I like um, Stephen Wilson huge amount. Um, Steve Wilson uh, has, uh, you know, is probably the Britain's premier prog artist. So there's another band um, called Anathema, um, and you know, the, what's interesting is they're called prog rock. In actual fact, it's hyper melodic. You know, it's quarterly interesting, mm-hmm. um, and uh, those two band stroke artists. Um, are making music that should be globally known. If they were around in the 70s, they would be superstars. But that kind of quality of music, intelligence of music, has been pushed very much into the underground or to the sidelines. And, um, and, and I, I feel for them because they deserve a lot more. Um, okay, with that said, there is a, there is a very interesting track called Running in the Night by by Atlas. Um, no, 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 sorry, it's FM84. FM84, the album's Atlas. Running in the Night. If you guys get a chance to hear that, if anyone who's listening to this wants to look it up, it's a young outfit. It's very 80s. I'm not only into 80s music. It makes it sound <laughs> like yeah. It's really cool. You know, it's like you, you hear it and you... There's, there's spirit and soul there. It's very electronic. It's very melodic. It's kind of like, you know, it reminds me of um, Maniac, um, you know, that track sure. in Flashdance. Uh, it, it's really intelligent, well-written electronic music. Um, so I'm not really being very helpful because I know I'm being quite spread out in my answers. But no, that's no, that's great. But great. You gave us samplings of different things that you like, and yeah. you gave us the challenge to go listen to something new, which we always love when Absolutely. artists say, hey, if you like this, check out that. So we, we like that a lot. So well done. Oh, cool. That's really good. Thank you. Um, all right. I got, I got one more question, and then we're going we're gonna to give you a chance to let the people know uh, how they can find out what you're doing these days. Uh, what does Johnny love? Well, if we're talking about Johnny the individual, the, the real individual, Johnny actually <clears throat> went out and brought a Dave Brubeck record recently. So, oh, wow. look at that. So, we converted we're, one. We're not sure that 
I can't say that Johnny loves jazz, but he's certainly open to it. <laughs> Johnny tolerates so, jazz. <laughs> Johnny tolerates jazz, yeah. It's, it's probably as close as we're going to get. That's outstanding. Um, so there you go. That's what Johnny is into. Well, well we've, uh, we know you, you hinted a little bit about your new project that you're working on. Um, I... After yeah. knowing that I was going to get, we were going to get to chat with you a little bit. I dug a little deeper into some Clark music. I really, uh, I really enjoyed the Rain Dance album because, not just because oh, cool. of you, but I'm a big Nathan East guy. I think he's a machine. So anytime I can hear Nathan East do anything, um, I'm all about it. And Paulina DaCosta is oh, obviously man, a you're, you're, rock star too. You, yeah, you're talking about one of. The, I mean, he really is one of the greats, isn't he? As a bass player, just phenomenal, and, and such a lovely bloke as well. So yeah, I was. It was uh, at the risk of sounding. You know, um, uh, cliched. It really was a privilege working with him because he was so he was so brilliant, but also so genuine as a guy. That's awesome. Yeah, great yeah I love True Confessions. That's good, good jam. Um, and I also like oh, Magnet. Cool. I also like Magnetize too, which I didn't like. I said no before I came into this, and so I'm excited to see the 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 direction that your new album or new project is going. So if you want to talk a little bit about it just for a second, and then we'll let you talk about whatever you want, and then we'll we'll let you enjoy the rest of your day. That's very kind. Uh, listen, a, a, a while ago, I said to Mike, there's only, only me and Mike in the band now, so I said to Mike, you know what, man, I just want to do an album that is influenced by the music we grew up listening to. And <clears throat> that's a lot of different kinds of things. But one of the common threads is that, we, you know, we, we both listened a lot to soul music of the of the 70s. And, and soul music, is, you know, as a term, is so broad as well. But, you know, that could be anything from... Um, and Marvin to Stevie to Stevie Dan and Michael McDonald and Daryl and John Oates. So um, we kind of allowed ourselves to dip into that slightly indulgent part of ourselves where we just we just do something that we're not really thinking is going to fit in with a, a particularly modern dance-oriented sound. Um, and the irony of that is that it freed us up to do something that we both actually really love, um, and it turns out, in my humble opinion, that it's not particularly self-indulgent. I think we've made something that's going to communicate with, with people in a way that we, we haven't done for some time. Um, so that, you know, there, there is soul-esque stuff there. We've, we've co-written with Hamish Stewart um, from The Average White Band, the singer from The Average White Band, and writer, I should say. Um, we've um, co-written with... You know, we, this is you've already actually. I'm revealing this is a different kind of album because usually I'd write all the songs myself. Sure. But I opened up to, to doing something a bit different this time. Um, we're going to do actually. We are going to do a track with with Mike Rutherford um, and allow it to be quite quite seventies. Um, interestingly, you asked me which artists I think are, are, are really producing good material, uh, and Charlie Puth is someone who I. I kind of have my eyes on. I think that guy's really talented. And uh, it's not that every single track he's done I, I love, but there are certain ones um, that I really do like. Um, and in listening to him, that kind of helps us understand how we could do something that was fairly soulful but could still actually be uh, um, sonically relevant today because I think he manages to do that. When, when, he, when he lets himself... Um, uh, I think he really he really comes up with some good stuff when he decides he's, he doesn't have to make pop music and he's going to do something more soulful. He's pretty cool, that guy. I like him. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's kind of we we listened a little bit to him, which is a bit of a surprise to say. Even though I just I said earlier that we've got a glam track on there, a glam rock track, which we do. Um, so there you go. I hope I'm not being too cryptic, but it's, it's a, it's no, a cool well, that's a, that's a really great cool. teaser. That's yeah. something for us to look forward cool. to. So Absolutely. we appreciate cool. you, Clark. Yeah. Thanks again. Clark, thanks okay, so man. much for, for being generous with your time. We really appreciate it, taking taking time out of your day to, to talk to a couple of nobodies from the States. Um, is there is there anything else? Uh, where can people find you online? Do you have a, social media accounts they can follow or, or a website uh, where people can keep tabs on you? Well, yeah, you can find us on Facebook and, and Instagram and Twitter. So um, it's Johnny, it's, I think it's uh, Facebook is JSJ Official, um, and Instagram, I think it's Johnny H. Jazz Official. You can also find me personally. I've got my own account for the link to the Johnny H. Jazz ones, the Clark Bachelor ones, and I'm, I'm probably more active on those. Okay. And then there's com, which um, 
uh, we'll have more information very soon about what we're doing. Um, but it, listen, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great questions as well, and it's lovely to speak to people who obviously have uh, an understanding and a love of music, and, and your questions uh, reflect that very much. So it's a pleasure for me. Well, thank you so much. Bring us a walnut whip, and we'll have you some cranberries waiting, and we'll uh, we'll catch up soon, Clark. <laughs> we appreciate you. <laughs> I look forward to it. Take care, guys. Thank have you so much. Thank you. Podcast. So there we have it, kids. Our interview. That was a lot of fun. Dude, give me Clark every day. Every he's, day. Like, he's good. He's a good interview, uh, and he's fun, and he and he uh, kind of gets what we're doing here, and hopefully we get what he's doing there. And we wish him all the best in uh, Johnny Hates Jazz and beyond, everything that he's got going on. Always appreciate it when uh, somebody with a legit career in music takes time to spend with a couple of with us. doofuses, you know what I mean, <laughs> who have a podcast. Um, but uh, they, we always, the thing that we hear time and time again from our guests, and I'm just going to go ahead and pat us on the back here because nobody else is going to do it. Uh, the, the thing that we get told time and time again from our guests is that they appreciate that we actually love the songs that we're talking about mm-hmm. and that we come with a kind of an energy because we're excited about these songs. So, because um, we really do love this stuff. We, we do. We don't, we don't, we're not doing this for the money, let me tell you. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're way in the hole. <laughs> that's, that's right. We got a Kickstarter coming up uh, so I can pay my rent. Um, having the time of our lives doing it guys absolutely we can't wait to bring you the rest of season four and beyond as we continue on on the great song podcast as we said before find us on twitter at great song pod uh find us on facebook facebook.com slash groups slash great song pod or just search for the groups great songs and the great people who love them greatly and we'll be there waiting for you with the light on like the motel six i'm tom bodette We got some good stuff coming up for you next week. But until then, I'm Rob. I am JP. Go listen to some music.